Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Smoke Pit. Today you have myself, Dan Sharp, your host. My co-host Mike Sensi is out of town. And so I'm going to be doing a bit of an op-ed style uh, episode today. It'll be a mini episode on one of the most frequent questions that I get asked. How to be a better leader in combat. Now, to begin with, this um, is not meant to be at all arrogant or to come off like I uh, know better than anyone else, but everything that I have to say, I have learned the hard way. And if you can take anything from this, whether you're about to join the military, you've uh, been in for a while, or you're just starting out your careers of leadership, everything I say is a lesson that I learned. And you may not use everything you read in a book. You may not use every tool in your toolbox, but if there's anything that I teach here today that can save even one life, then it'll have been worth it. So to be a better leader, and specifically combat, because you have a big distinction between garrison leadership and combat leadership, what I would say the most important thing to realize is that you as that leader, your pain doesn't matter, your suffering doesn't matter, your discomfort doesn't matter. All that matters is the mission and the people to the left and to the right of you. So whenever you're tired, you think about how tired that uh, that 18 year old must be, or the new guy, the person who just showed up to the unit. Whenever you're frustrated, or whenever you're scared, you know, just imagine how how scared they are. Now imagine how much more scared, or more tired, or discouraged they would be if they look over and they see their leadership with that panicked look on their face, or that exhausted look on their face. They're looking to you for inspiration, and it's your responsibility as a leader to set that example, not just in the way you conduct yourself, but in your spirit and in the energy that you bring forth to the mission. And setting the example goes beyond that with taking the initiative. Um, you know, through the various studies in combat, you know, there are multiple ways to generate uh, combat power, speed, focus, surprise, boldness. All those things are uh, indicative of initiative. Because a bad plan violently executed now is better than a uh, perfect plan executed later on. Your job as a leader is to create and exploit opportunities. You create those uh, opportunities by taking the initiative. You exploit those opportunities by having that initiative. And also instilling that bit of initiative in your subordinates. So... That being said, you have to trust your subordinates to make their own decisions. You can't fire their weapons for them. You can't run to cover. You can't reload for them. You have to trust them. And there's an old saying, never tell somebody how to do something. Rather, just tell them what should be done and let them surprise you with their ingenuity. That's kind of the philosophy behind commander's intent. You tell them at the end of the day what you want your battlefield to look like, and you trust them to shape that for you. So now that trust that you have between yourself and your subordinates, that really only gets established with familiarity. If you show up to a unit and you immediately get deployed with them, which I've, I've seen, it's, uh, it's happened to me once actually when I was went to Afghanistan. Uh, I got there, we deployed a few days later, they were like, here's your squad. And the, the first operation I did with them was an actual combat patrol in Sangin, Afghanistan. And so we had no familiarity. I think I had one guy who had came over with me, and he was in my squad too. And I had worked with him, so he knew me and he trusted me, but the other guys didn't. Imagine how terrifying that is. Um, 
being on your first patrol and the guy who's leading you, you have no no confidence or trust in him and his abilities or the way he thinks, the the way he'll react to something. You know, it's very difficult. So as as best as you can, you want to create that familiarity and that trust. Now, a way to expedite that process is to realize one simple fact. Trust goes down. Loyalty goes down. You have a responsibility to your subordinates. You have a responsibility to the people that you are underneath, but not nearly as important as the responsibility you have to the, the men under your charge. Because their lives are directly in your hand. And uh, trying to do something just for the sake of appeasing the person who is writing your uh, evaluation is foolish. And your responsibility and your trust goes to them. You have to put their safety and their comfort and their mission accomplishment above your own. And at the end of the day, you cannot take a second or third objective if you cannot even take the first. So you have to take care of your troops and they will pay you back. Now, that also being said, um, there is an interesting bit in Marine Corps Doctrine Publication 1 Warfighting that says, uh, until a commander has reached a decision, it is the duty of his subordinates to offer their insights and uh, professional opinions, even though this may be in disagreement with um, what their uh, superior has going on. Um, And so once a decision has been made, uh, they are required to enforce it as if it was their own. But until that decision has been made, it is their responsibility to tell them, you know, what they feel and what they think would be best. And the idea that yes men will not be tolerated, that is specifically in MCDP-1 warfighting, that yes men will not be tolerated. So as a leader, you have to be open to the possibility that someone may have an idea that you never thought of. Uh, Be approachable, be receptive, learn from them. They, They may know something you don't. But then once that decision has been made, you need to enforce it. You need to take the initiative. And uh, taking the initiative is really how you dictate the pace of any fight or any conflict. It's through initiative that you seek to impose your will upon the enemy. And opposed to just reacting to what's being uh, forced upon you. And so the objective of any conflict is to seize the initiative from the enemy, dictate the fight, dictate the pace. And you do that through those traits that we talked about um, that generate combat power. And you're going to have to push through the human, uh, the human element in that, which is um, stress, fear, friction, all those things. And you have several different types of frictions. You have external friction, which can be you know, the enemy, the weather, whatever the case may be. You have internal friction, uh, which may be a lack of communication um, um, or some sort of gear failing or whatever the case may be. And then you have self-induced friction, which, you know, you didn't maintain your weapon properly, so now it's not working. You didn't bring extra batteries, so now uh, a piece of gear isn't being able to uh, utilize to its full potential. So you want to minimize uh, as much friction as as you can, and that is the responsibility of you as a leader, small unit leaders and such, to place yourself at the point of friction. Because uh, as complicated and complex as war may be, There are certain truths that hold through no matter what the engagement is. Um, The fog of war is that which makes the the easy seem hard and the hard seem nearly impossible. And there are going to be times where those points of friction require that that, um, 
that level of leadership and that level of supervision. But however, you as a leader cannot be the type of individual who micromanages. You need to place yourself at the point of friction to mitigate these stress, but you have to keep an open mind and um, an open reticle to other points of friction and stress that might present themselves. So when I was a, a younger leader, uh, when I was a team leader, I was the kind of person that was real hands-on, you know, like if, uh, if you can't do it right, then get out of the way and let me do it. Uh, I had no problem being uh, the number one man in the stack. I tried to make sure I was a number two or number three just for command and control, but I had no problem being the point man. Uh, then as you start to get a little older, you realize that that's selfish. Uh, you have more value to the squad or to the platoon uh, a few degrees removed back. You as a squad leader or as a platoon sergeant or platoon commander, your best weapon is your voice and your radio. And that's how you command and control. That's how you uh, communicate with the external units and deal with higher and adjacent supporting units, um, close air support, medevacs, whatever the case may be. Your greatest weapon is your voice and your radio uh, once you start getting higher up. And it is selfish to be that uh, number one man in the stack. Like, if you have to do it, you have to do it. At the end of the day, stack bodies, bring everybody home, do what you have to do. But you should not seek to be that person. You should seek to do your job because it is very difficult to process the fact that the higher up you get in rank, the further removed from the action you become. And, you know, we all want to pull the trigger. We all want to be the hero. We all want to be the one who gets stuff done. But at a certain point with leadership, you have to take yourself out of the, uh, the scope and observe everything that's going on because you have to be able to uh, predict things that may happen or anticipate because any sort of conflict is two wills struggling against each other, seeking to impose force and counterforce against each other. And you as that leader, your responsibility is to take the initiative to, to exploit those gaps and to provide surfaces against where you think the enemy is going to impose their will so that way they are you know dashed upon the rocks. So it is more so your responsibility to turn the map around and say, if I was the enemy, what would I do in this specific moment? Therein lies the rub. So you are in, in an incredible position where... You have to be the one who is responsible for this. And that is a heavy burden to bear because if somebody doesn't make it home or somebody gets hurt, you spend the rest of your life questioning yourself. Did I right, make the right move? Did I do this? Did I do that? You can't do that. You can't let that fear paralyze you in the moment because hesitating may actually be more costly than making a less than sound decision. All you can do is make a, um, a decision born of a school of thought based on the information that you have at hand. And the resources we as leaders expend are human lives. So you have to take the gravity of that appointment with the utmost severity and school yourself in tactics, techniques, procedures, the after action reports. I remember being in Afghanistan, I was getting little to no sleep because I was reading after action reports and looking at rat lines and talking to the squad leaders and going into the intel shops and trying to figure out any little morsel of information that I could to you know, keep my uh, keep my men alive. And that's going to be your burden as a leader. You're going to get less sleep. You're going to get less chow. You're going to have less you time. You're going to spend more time looking at maps and writing orders and communicating than, you know, jerking off in a porta john. Well, that's, that's your responsibility. You know, there's been times where we all think that we could do something better, 
but if you stick around long enough and whether you go enlisted or officer, you'll have that opportunity. And at that time, it's put up or shut up. And you'll have to ask yourself, did I prepare myself enough for this? Did I read enough? Did I study enough? Did I foster that relationship with my subordinates that I feel that as you go through the levels of war and you get all the way down, you know, strategic and operational and tactical, when you get down to that tactical level, like, do you have the confidence that is necessary to be able to lead that unit? And now you're not going to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes. And there's going to be times where your men fuck you. You know, they tell you that they have this, but they don't. Uh, they tell you that this was good to go, but it's not. You know, so you, you want to inspect what you expect, but you're going to have to plan for the fact that sometimes devil dogs are going to put a fucking on you. And, you know, the, they will if you let them. And then, you know, the enemy is going to try to fuck you. And then the weather and communication and all that stuff. And you're going to be in this position where the world is fucking coming to an end. And you're the one who is single-handedly responsible for, you know, pulling people out of the fire. And that's what's so mundane for a lot of people is that my worst day in Iraq is being a patrol leader, you know, we're taking casualties, it's a layered ambush, the radio's down, it's 100 and some odd degrees, I got 100 pounds of gear on me. Uh, you know, to me, like, that's a 10 stress. Like, that's the you know, worst possible case imaginable. And then you come back home and you see somebody going nuclear over the fact that their coffee wasn't the right order. And so you have to put things into perspective. And then even so, when you're in combat and you're in that situation where... It is incredibly stressful. You cannot let things compound. You know, address each problem individually. Okay, we're being uh, we're being ambushed. All right, repel the assault. All right, the um, radio is down. Okay, remedial action. Let's try to uh, create a, an avenue where we can get to higher ground. You know, are we going to increase our rate of fire? Are we going to set a maneuver element? Are we going to banana peel back? Are we going to pop smoke and uh, cover and or, um, conceal our movement until we can get to cover? All right. So now we got casually. All right. Is he, you know, litter or is he ambulatory? You know, is uh, what was the severity of it? Okay. So it's hot. All right. I, I can't really do much about that except for, you know, I hydrated before the patrol. I got all this gear on me. Well, I'm physically and mentally strong. So you look at all these problems individually versus accumulatively, and you'll find that they are much easier to solve. You cannot let the sum of your problems weigh you down because each one of those things sucks, you know, and, you know, like this might be a four on the scale, this might be a six, this might be a seven, this might be a two individually, but people look at that as like, it's a 27 out of 10, and they're just fucking melting down. They don't know what to do. But if you look at each problem individually, it's not that bad, and if you can address each problem individually and delegate, which is an incredibly powerful tool of any leader. All right, you know, um, Sharp, you're in charge of this. All right, um, you know, Wade, you're in charge of this. All right, McKenna, you're in charge of this. And you start delegating those tasks and putting troops to deal with each one of those, then you start to find that the tempo picks up a little bit and you start to kind of get in a groove a little bit. And like, all right, now, all right, now, you know, we, I might actually make it, make it out of this fucking shithole alive. In some some fucking piece of shit city that you can't even spell the name of. Am I going to fucking die heal? Absolutely fucking not. Because I'm going to do everything in my power to continue the fight. And so communicating with the other, the other people in your unit is incredibly important. Because if you get too focused on one problem, they may have a piece of information 
that that is vital to your uh, OODA loop. You know, you um, observe, orient, decide, and act, or uh, in some cases, depending on what the situation, you might orient yourself before you observe. Um, but regardless, uh, might be a piece of information that uh, is vital to you know your process. And if you're too focused on one thing, you may not catch that. And so any patrol leader or say if you're going in a squad or a platoon, whoever's in charge, you're responsible for everything external. Your assistant patrol leader or you know whoever's their second in command, they're in charge of everything internal. So that's very important to remember. What is your billet? What are you in charge of? What is your slice of the pie? What can you do to help other people with theirs once you've already established dominance upon the, the battlefield of what you're responsible for? So to kind of summarize that up a little bit, being a leader is um, intended to be selfless. You're um, inherently going to expose yourself more to enemy fire. You're going to paint a target on yourself. You're going to assume more responsibility. You're going to assume more stress. And that's the burden that you bear. And if you don't like it, then get the fuck out. I, you know, I not intend to be arrogant and not intending to you know offend anybody. But at the end of the day, it's the military. Nobody fucking cares about your feelings when you're in the shit. Nobody fucking cares, you know, if you're tired or if you're fucking sore or if your girlfriend broke up with you or you're fucking having money problems when you're in a firefight. Nobody gives a fuck. Do your job. That's all fucking people care about. You know, we could fucking cry about it and fucking talk to chaplain afterwards. But when you're actually in combat, when you're actually doing operations, nobody fucking cares. Do your job. Because you don't have to have fucking problems if you get shot in the face. Easy day, right? So being able to take accountability for that and push your own problems to the back of your head and delegate with what you have um, is, I I feel, one of the best trades of uh, a leader that you can possibly uh, portray. And so, you know, you're going to ask different people, um, you know, what they feel is the, the, the best traits of a leader. Yeah, a lot of people will say, you know, brave, determined, uh, creative, cunning, adaptable. You know, these are all things that you can train yourself to be in, in one aspect or another. Uh, but everybody has a different leadership style. It's kind of like a soup. You know, you see different leaders, you read different books, you um, observe different things, and you add to your own stew. And you're like, oh, I like when this guy does this, or I, I like how, you know, this guy is, you know, always there to, you know, help with pallets or whatever, even though he doesn't have to, you know, he doesn't uh, use his, his billet or his authority for self-comfort or self-gain. And then you add that stuff. But it's also equally important to look at leaders that you don't have respect for and promise yourself that you'll never be that way. I can't tell you how many times I've, uh, coming up in the Marine Corps, there's guys like, oh, I hate when Staff Sergeant does this, or I hate when Corporal does that. And then, you know, when they get promoted to Corporal, that's exactly what they do. And if you don't like something, then don't become it. And if you feel that you're starting to become that, either change or get the fuck out. Because at the end of the day, you know, the, the entire purpose of the military is to do one of two things, either train for war or conduct war. Now, granted, we have humanitarian missions, and I'm probably going to get some fucking angry DMs or whatever later on, but more or less, uh, you know, war serves policy, and if we're talking about being a leader in combat, you're either training or you're conducting, and those two things aren't mutually exclusive. 
I remember one of the best things that my leadership did for me is on my first deployment, uh, you know, I was a saw gunner, carried the light machine gun, and they're like, hey, Sharp, you're going to be a team leader for this patrol because you're going to be a team leader when we get back. And so now you could say that, you know, you led a team in Iraq. And, you know, granted, it wasn't our biggest operations. It wasn't, you know, the, the sexy raids and all that stuff, but just going out on a basic security patrol, you know, maybe catch a little contact, maybe don't, uh, whatever the case may be. But having that, that responsibility thrust upon you really helps you prepare for it. Because uh, at the end of the day, nobody's going to be fucking ready for that first patrol that they're supposed to lead by themselves. Uh, nobody. I, I remember I wasn't. It was a fucking terrifying feeling. Uh, but being thrust in that fucking position, uh, being forced to step up, you know, have um, asking the, the road to rise to meet you um, is incredible experience. So take that opportunity whenever you can. If uh, you have the ability to uh, volunteer for billets or to take initiative when uh, you're in, in training or, you know, get some of your buddies together and you're like, all right, hey, for, you know, for this training exercise, you know, I'm going to be a patrol leader or you're going to be the, the team leader, whatever the case may be. Absolutely fucking do it. Absolutely fucking do it. Because the last thing you want to do is be in that real life situation and freeze because you don't have that experience and you haven't trained, you haven't been adapted for it. So that was one of the best things that my leadership did for me. And so when I was in that position, that's what I did for my subordinates. You know, like, hey, you know, um, you're going to be uh, you're going to be leading this patrol. And they're looking at me like fucking wide eyes. Like, sergeant, like what? I'm like, hey, look, I fucking I was leading patrols as a 21 year old E3 in Iraq, you know, like on my own with like no adult supervision. So like you can do this. You know, there were, you know, kids who were 19 that were squad leaders and platoon sergeants and, you know, Iwo Jima and Battle of the Bulge and all that. So it's not impossible. And, it, and it's funny to think that you have the, uh, <laughs> your, your counterparts back home, the, the people who are your age and kind of see like where they are and what they're doing and stuff. And you kind of think about the difference between like the kind of individual who's, you know, in their twenties and they're you know, like leading a squad in, in combat and the type of individual who just like is only responsible for their computer, their laptop, their workstation, whatever the case may be. And you kind of see like the dynamic and personalities. Like you have to be a fucking mediator. You have to have, have a little bit of base in your voice. You have to take the initiative. You can't be, um, you can't have trepidation because you know, whether, you know, more particularly to, you know, my combat arms, but, you know, whether you're a ranger or a marine or, you know, uh, infantry, whatever the case may be, you know, there's somebody out there fucking in a cave or a tent somewhere shaking in their fucking sandals that the thought of you, a United States Marine or a United States soldier or a United States, you know, service member is going to come kick down their door and fucking end their life. And that's the way that the world sees us, you know? They, they, they look at you and they don't see, you know, a scared 18 year old or, you know, a brand new fucking second lieutenant who doesn't understand, um, you know, how, how, how to fucking run their platoon. All they see is, you know, a soldier or a sailor or an airman or, you know, or, you know, para or whatever the case may be. All they see is that, that facade, that legacy that has been created by 18 year olds and 19 year olds putting fucking bayonets in motherfuckers. Because, you know, when, when push comes to shove, we all have that killer instinct in us and that's not mutually exclusive to the military like um, any civilian um, most civilians put in that position where they have to you know fight for their life will do so you know that's uh, that's not something that's exclusive to the military like you don't you know like you're not 
a killer just because you're in the military. Like we all have that that um, that that the capacity inside of us, especially when it comes to people that we care about. And one thing that I will say is that it is not like for love of country or for medals or whatever or anything like that that makes you know somebody ran across run across a field that is swept with machine gun fire. It's the the thought of being disgraced in their in the, the sight of their friends and in their eyes. You know, the thought of being a coward, the thought of uh, being called, um, you know, less than the rest. And so we all have that capacity inside of us. And so being able to channel that and being able to call upon that more often than your average individual, you also have to realize that our enemy possesses that as well. Whether it's, you know, a 10-year-old with a suicide vest or, you know, a 53-year-old Chechen, you know, who was fucking sniping Marines out of turrets doing 40 miles an hour in Ramadi in 07. Um, you know, they, they all possess that, so it's not mutually exclusive. And so this idea that leadership just fosters the idea that, oh, you know, the people we're fighting are fucking dumb and they're fucking shitheads, that's, that's incredibly insulting. That's incredibly insulting to all, you know all the you know U.S. service member and our allies who have been killed in combat, you know, and it's like you have you know, everybody from National Guard to Special Forces being killed by our enemy. It's it's not something that's mutually exclusive to us, and you have to realize that your enemy is capable of that. Your enemy has the capacity to inflict their will upon you to cause you casualties, to break your lines of communication, to in, in, uh, induce that stress. And it is up to you as a leader in order to counter that. And so this fucking idea that like, oh, they're all just goat fuckers, like that's asinine. Like you're fighting a very highly intelligent, adaptable enemy who's been fighting, you know, since he was old enough to fucking uh, hold the weapon. And in other countries that might be future adversaries, the same is true. People don't have as fucking easy a life as most of us here in America do. And so you want to study your enemy. You want to learn from them. You want to find out why they're fighting. Get inside their head. Like I said earlier, turn the map around. And there's a um, a, a quote from Ender's Game that I'm, I'm uh, paraphrasing. That once you truly know your enemy, once you truly know who he is and understand why he's fighting, then you grow to love them. And only once you love them enough to understand them and understand how they think and what they do and what they're going to do next, only then, once you love them that much, can you know how to destroy them. And that's a heavy burden to bear, is once you immerse yourself into a, in, into a, a culture or into a, a people's way of life, like being there to take lives and destroy, that's something that's not as easy as just pulling a trigger of a faceless stranger. And once you invest yourself into these things, you have to realize that this is going to carry with you for a while. Like, um, I was talking to some veterans earlier on today, like with the way it was with Vietnam and the way it is in Iraq and Afghanistan, and we put all this effort into taking cities and clearing towns and stuff. And, and, you know, you see either, you know, the, the, the North Vietnamese took it back over or Iraq you know, Al-Qaeda, you know, took back over a bunch of cities where I lost friends, um, a bunch of cities where, I, you know, we, we lost guys in Afghanistan, Sangin, and shit like that. You know, they, you know, the um, ISIS and, and other various agents, you know, Taliban and stuff, they took these areas back over. And it's absolutely fucking gut-wrenching to think 
that you know the the place that you were not only as a soldier or a marine but as a leader the place that you led men the the place that you you know called those EOD reports and those medevacs the places that you've carried bodies onto you know trucks and helicopters and you know seen carnage and destruction these areas are being forfeited back to the enemy and it's absolutely fucking gut-wrenching because you think you know what was it all for and so anybody who thinks that, you know, going into to a leadership position or joining the military is, uh, is glory, it's really not. It's like finding out that the, the best thing that you could have possibly imagine in your life, something that you've wanted all, all this time, and then it's got a terrible dark secret that haunts you and you can never tell anybody about. Because it's hard to explain the way that these things make you feel. And especially as a leader, like questioning yourself and doubting and stuff like that, that's going to stay with you for the rest of your life. But you can absolutely fucking not display that in front of any of your troops. You have to understand this and you have to appreciate this. Whatever your doubts, whatever your insecurities, you're allowed to have them. You're a person. You're free thinking. And that's what makes you valuable as a leader. But under no circumstance are you going to display that in front of your subordinates. Because they need a solid leader. They need somebody that they can put their trust in. Because if you trust a leader enough, you're going to follow them through the gates of hell. And sometimes, God damn it, that's what it fucking takes to get a mission done. Whether it be enemy opposition or elements or terrain, sometimes you have to fucking push through hell in order to accomplish the mission. And if you're weak-willed as a leader, if you're hesitant, if you uh, display those signs of weakness, your subordinates are going to crumble way sooner than they would otherwise than if you put on that facade and as a subordinate if you're listening to this i i challenge you take a look at your leadership next time you're in a, on a hike or a run or or something look at them and ask yourself you know are they really just that fucking tough you know or do they um do they fucking piss lightning and crap thunder or is he just as tired as you but he's putting on the brave face or is he just as fucking miserable or you know, scared or whatever the case is? And if you think that it's one way or another, you might be right. All you can do is try to emulate that person and feed off of their strength and accomplish the mission. And so um, here at the Smoke Pit, we, we tried to go uh, off script as much as we can and let it be organic. So um, there was a lot that I probably meant to cover that I didn't. And there's probably some things that I probably uh, talked about too much. So I'd, I'd love to hear your feedback because I may not be leading combat patrols, but you know, as a student of war, you always want to learn more. And especially when you've invested so much of your life into this. So um, to, uh, if, if you've led um, patrols in combat or if you have questions about it, feel free to shoot them out. And uh, I'd love to have a discussion with everyone. Uh, you can check me out on Pop Smoke uh, Official on Instagram or through the Smoke Pit. And also a big shout out to our sponsors, uh, Combat Home Over. Uh, use our discount code Cream Pie, save you some money. And uh, Strike Force Energy, uh, promo uh, discount code Smoke Pit, which actually just got back from Australia, and I've done three overseas uh, international trips in the last two months. And then you know between the business I know and the podcast and all that stuff, you know Strike Force really gets me through, uh, especially when I'm feeling the fucking jet lag. Yeah, so uh, that'll be it for today's episode. And if you have any thoughts, uh, feel free to reach out. And yeah, and, and like I said, like that that wasn't intended to me be on a soapbox and tell everybody like how cool I am and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it's 
it's hard to talk about something that you haven't lived through. And the majority of our combat veterans have gotten out. And uh, there has been a lot of questions of people who are hungry for this role, hungry for this knowledge. And so I appreciate everybody listening. And we'll see you next week. And hopefully Sensi will be back. Bye.